The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Well, hello, everyone. This is Dr. Doug Bursch, co-pastor of Evergreen Church in Auburn, Washington. And you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. On today's show, I'd like to share with you my testimony. When God encountered me, or when I encountered God, in the middle of a moment of despair, when everything in my life had been stripped away, when I realized that no one on this planet was really thinking about me or caring about me, when I realized that I was in fact all alone. Today I'd like to bring you some encouragement with a testimony of hope in the middle of darkness. glad you could join us for the Fairly Spiritual Show. I am Dr. Doug Birch. I pastor Evergreen Church in Auburn, Washington, co-pastored along with Dan Behrens. And I'm so glad we could spend this time together. For the regular listeners, thank you. That means a lot. I'd love it if you could check out our website, fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. You can find past shows and podcasts. You can also find a way to support this show. It will not stay on the air unless you support this show. And that means something as small as a $25 gift will keep this radio show on the air. I don't pastor a mega church. There's just a few people that attend our church. I don't do this show in order to grow our church. I do it out of obedience to try to advance a better dialogue in a world that is frequently full of bitter people. And so if you want this kind of content to be on this station, then please go to the website, fairlyspiritual.org, and donate today. Your gift matters. If you're in this place where you say, I don't know if what I do makes a difference in the world, uh, it will make a profound difference if you participate in giving. $25, $50, uh, whatever amount, that makes a world of difference. Also, you can uh, find my book there, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. If you're someone who considers yourself an introvert, you don't like being in community, you struggle with the fact that You know you're supposed to be in community, but people keep hurting you. You know what I mean? Like, you don't like being hurt by people? Well, I don't like being hurt by people either. So I wrote this book specifically with that in mind. The Bible talks about the power of community, the fact that we are made human through community, but here's the other reality. We get hurt by people. So I look at that, the fact that I don't like being hurt, you don't like being hurt, But how can we abide in community, but also just respect the fact that not everybody is that super outgoing extrovert that just loves hanging out with people, fellowshipping, the Christian word fellowshipping, and, you know, it's just easy for them. It's not easy for us. And so I have that kind of sensitivity as I write that book, and I'd love for you to pick it up and for you to give me your thoughts. So you can go to fairlyspiritual.org for that as well. You can also text the show. Here's the number, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. If you don't like to text, if you have too big a thumbs for that, uh, then you can also call and leave a message, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. But please don't leave an anonymous, angry, mean 
uh, message because that would just be sinning against me and sinning against yourself. So don't do that. Uh, 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. So on today's show, I thought I would share a testimony of or my testimony of when I encountered God in the middle of a very dark place in my life and how that testimony influences uh, most of what I do in my life. And um, I was going to share a story. Uh, I don't know if I should share this on the air. Uh, in, when I used to work, I used to work for another Christian radio station. I did a talk show for five years. And in my contract, they specifically had in the contract there were certain things I was not supposed to talk about on the air, and some of them are very funny. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about me. They didn't write the contract just for me, but I think it was because certain talk show hosts had talked about things um, that were so bothersome that they wrote this into contracts, standard contracts, so they wouldn't get in trouble. Now, I don't think this is in that contract, but this is one of those things that maybe you shouldn't talk about on the air. But but I I just have to bring it up, uh, and uh, just sorry uh, if you're eating uh, lunch right now, a late lunch. You might want to, you know, chew your food and, and swallow, uh, not have anything in your mouth at this time. So, um, uh, you know, it's been beautiful out, beautiful weather. We live a little bit in the country, in the Puget Sound region, and uh, we live in a community where the local farmers like to get the manure sprinklers out. Now, if you, yes, that's what I said, manure sprinklers. And if you have no idea what a manure sprinkler is, well, then that's a good thing. That's good for you. Uh, I, I don't really even want to describe it to you, but it is what it sounds like. They are manure sprinklers. They're these sprinklers, and you've probably seen them in fields uh, before, where it's a sprinkler that's just shooting out this liquid that doesn't look like water. That's what those are. Those are manure sprinklers. It's a way to to spread out uh, the fact that these dairy cows produce more than just milk. And so they will make agreements with local um, homeowners and people with you know larger fields that, you know, can we please spread uh, the manure in your field? And so that's just something that happens when you live in the country. And, you know, yesterday uh, it was just beautiful, just lovely weather. And I came home and uh, our neighbors, they had gotten out the manure sprinkler. And I'm not judging them on this. I know they got to do this. But, oh, my word. Uh, I, I get the concept of that country smell. That's okay. But the smell was so bad, even the cows were gagging. It was that bad that I saw a skunk like holding his nose. Uh, it was so bad that in comparison, a, a, a diaper genie would be an air freshener. It, it, it was that bad. And it was just that, that struggle. You know, it finally gets nice. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go outside. I'm just going to sit in a chair and maybe enjoy this, this beautiful... <laughs> summer day and instead i'm just running to the house you know trying not to open the doors so that our whole house smells like something in fact i just i feel tainted right now i just i just i myself feel like uh but but i got up in the morning and the, the smell had gone away and it, it's just that reminder right you know no matter how beautiful everything is you know some of you're having tough days you're struggling and uh you know then it gets worse and then others it's ah oh, it's finally a beautiful day it's lovely outside everything's great and then you look out your window, and there's that sprinkler just going. Tss, 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 tss. <laughs> what do you see? It's like, ah, yes, you you, you can't avoid in life <clears throat> that no matter how good things are going, there it is, the manure sprinkler. So with this in mind, 
I just want to dedicate today's show to the listeners out there right now where you are just going through it. You're just struggling. And it's hard to even share your struggles because you don't want to bring other people down. But you're really in a place where you just feel lost. You just feel empty. You're in a place of despair. You're in a place where you can't even articulate how down you are. And it's just, you know, right now you might be listening and you're, you're, you're like, Doug, I, I need help. Or I just, you know, I can't, I can't take any more of this. Or I just need encouragement. I just, no matter what the day is, no matter what's going on, I look out my window and I just, I just don't have the joy anymore. I don't know where to find joy. I don't know where to find peace. It's just been a prolonged season of a lot of trauma. I'm just lost. And I don't even know how to articulate that, but I'm just going to share my testimony. And I'm hoping this might encourage some of you. So I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I grew up in a home where they valued, my parents valued Uh, the kindness of God, the love and the grace and the goodness of God. And uh, they both um, came to this place in their life that they realized that they were raised in environments where, although people believed in the gospel, when it came to their parenting, the parenting was very legalistic. The parenting was about rules and laws and regulations and and punishments, and the parenting wasn't very grace-based. The parenting wasn't very loving. The parenting didn't look like the gospel. And so my parents began to commit themselves to parent in a way that reflected the gospel. So instead of raising their kids with a bunch of rules and regulations and punishments, they raised us in a home full of love and grace. And they grew in that. They became more loving and more gracious. And our home wasn't full of, uh, you know, spanking the kids for everything and, and grounding us for things and all kinds of laws and regulations. It was full of prayer and deep conversations and truly getting each of us kids to, to listen to God and to, to talk about what does God want us to do and how can we be more loving and gracious and kind to one another. And because of that, because of that parenting, uh, God was attractive to me and Jesus was attractive to me. And at a very early age, probably as soon as I could say the name of Jesus, I said yes to Jesus, and I dedicated my life to Jesus, and I followed Jesus. And, uh, you know, we had evangelists come into our church, and I recommitted my life to Jesus many times. I raised my hands many times, I, I, you know, just in case it didn't stick. I was a little worried, you know, I got to make sure I got this thing figured out. I came to the altar many times, but I dedicated my life to Jesus as, at a very young age. And I cannot remember a day outside of Jesus' presence. For That's my testimony. There's not been a day outside of Christ's presence. I remember even you know, being in third or fourth grade, and I would go spend the night at another kid's house, and there was a different spirit in the home. And later I was able to articulate this, but just the way the kids treated each other, the way the parents treated the kids, the way the kids treated the parents, there was a part of me that felt nauseated. I just I didn't feel right. I felt sick. I didn't, I didn't know how to articulate what was going on. But, but later I realized the difference was those homes had not made room for the Spirit of God. There wasn't the same love and the same grace. There wasn't the same kindness that I didn't sense 
the Spirit of Christ in that home. And so I grew up in a Christian home, and I wasn't a Christian because I was in a Christian home. I grew up in a home that made room for Jesus, and because the home made room for Jesus, I said yes to Jesus, and I began to serve Jesus at a very young age. And so by the time I was in um, you know, grade school and then went into middle school, I had a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And as far as my testimony goes, uh, I was entering into my ninth grade. That'd be middle school or junior high. And the way our schools were structured, ninth grade was the last grade of middle school. It was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And uh, I was doing well. I loved the Lord. I, I believed in Jesus. Uh, students at the public school I attended knew that I believed in Jesus. I was a popular student, and I'm not bringing that up as that makes me important, or but I believed in Jesus, but I wasn't also just some marginalized, weird kid who didn't fit in, that I, that I believed in Jesus, but I could connect with other kids. I did well in sports. Uh, in eighth grade, I was the captain of the football and basketball and baseball team. And, and bef- by the way, before you think I was a great player, we just didn't have very good teams. So that didn't mean that much. But, you know, I was active in sports. I, I had been elected to uh, a, a, you know, one of those uh, student government offices. I was vice president of uh, the ninth grade class, which was a great office to have because I didn't have to do anything. I just had to make sure that the, the president didn't you know, leave the school or abdicate her authority. So I, I had a lot of things going for me. And I'm explaining this in the context of how I felt at the time. At the time, I felt like this. You know, this is good. I've been serving you, Lord, and I'm able to connect with other students. I'm not an outcast, yet I'm able to proclaim Jesus, you know, I wasn't going around, you know, preaching to everyone, but people knew my faith and they knew my convictions, and I'm still able to succeed in the things I put my heart to. I'm able to do well in sports, which I like, and to be an example on these teams, and I'm able to be an example in the student government. And I, I saw it as, you know, this is how a good Christian kid can be a witness in the world. And things were going well. And someone might say, well, this is such a long time ago, Doug. You know, a junior high kid, what does that mean? Well, well, many of you know this, that there's whole decades of your life you can't remember, but you can remember one grade of, of middle school or one grade of high school. It's amazing how some of these times are just locked into our minds. Well, I went into ninth grade, you know, all positive and excited about the world. And I've always been a pretty positive kid or pro- positive man. And the Lord allowed me to get sick. Now, I'm not saying God made me sick, but I can say this from my own testimony, that the Lord allowed for me to get sick and not to get better. And I begin to get sick. And uh, I'm not going to go into all those details, but I begin to get perpetual bronchitis and respiratory problems and asthma problems uh, to the point where I was hospitalized with different bronchial problems and sinus problems where I was hospitalized, I'd go in for like five days or 10 days where I'd get so bad and so sick, uh, where I, in my ninth grade year, I think I was hospitalized around 60 days, off and on. You go seven days and come out, another seven days and come out. And during my ninth grade year, I, I think I missed something like 70 to 90 days of school. I, I don't think they even let some kids pass school, but my dad was a middle school teacher at that school. And They found a way, you know, to make it work for me, Uh, but I was very sick. And because I was sick, I couldn't do any of the things that I wanted to do. So, uh, you know, I played football and I was, you know, captain and started, I I couldn't even play football. And so I I was showing up for practices, but I couldn't play. And if you're a competitive person, you know how that feels when you're, you're out there trying to be the best and you can barely even run up and down the field because you're so sick. 
And so it was incredibly disheartening. And then with basketball, I could barely play. I tried to be on the team, but I could barely show up to things. And when I was out there, I was, I was coughing and hacking and I could barely do it. And I began to get sicker and sicker. And I got to the point where I wasn't getting better. I was on breathing treatments four times a day and, and uh, the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And also what happens when you're sick is, you know, kids try their best and they send you cards and they say, we miss you. And, uh, but eventually they forget about you. Eventually they don't know what to say because you just, you know, you're sick and what are they going to do? And life goes on. Uh, I remember that my parents said that I couldn't do baseball that year because I was just too sick. And I was so, I got to the point, I never felt like this before, but I wasn't going to be able to do baseball. And for a moment, I thought, why is life even worth living? And if you would known how positive I was as a kid, that thought just terrified me that I would even have the thought that life isn't worth living. And I found myself in this situation where I, I wasn't able to go to school. And when I went to school, I was sick and I was disconnected from all the kids because I couldn't connect with them and I couldn't do the sports I wanted to do and I couldn't connect with the people I wanted to connect with. And it seemed like everyone was moving beyond me and I wasn't getting better and I was not able to do the basic things that I thought I wanted to do in life and everything I'd been working towards and planning to do, I couldn't do. And this good Christian kid who thought that my life was moving together in the right direction, every single thing was falling apart. No longer did I have the connections that I thought I had, the relationships I thought I had. No longer were the efforts that I was putting in producing the results I thought they would produce. Instead, everything that I was working towards was falling apart before my very eyes. I remember I found myself sick at night, and often I'd be so sick at night I couldn't you know, sleep. And so I was up in this recliner chair, and it was two in the morning, and I'm coughing and hacking and and I'm just wondering, you know, what am I going to do next And as I'm in this sick holding position? And I remember having this thought as it was two in the morning. And, and, I, and I had this picture, and I'm and I just going to show you this. I had this picture of a camera, like right uh, over my recliner. Think of a, you know, a, a camera just kind of pointing over the recliner. And I saw the camera just pointing on me. And then I saw the recliner pull out over my, uh, the, the camera pull out over my house. So there was now a camera looking at my house. And for a second, I thought, no one in this house is thinking about me. Because I knew my parents were asleep at that time. And I knew, although my parents loved me and they contended for me and they cared about me and they were spending all their time or as much time as they could thinking about me and contending for me and trying to get the care that I needed. At that moment, they did not have enough energy to think about me. They were sleeping. And so the camera was over my house, and I realized no one in this house is thinking about me. They're all asleep right now. And then the camera pulled out, and I saw it pull out over the city that I lived in, the city of Auburn. And I realized that no one in the city of Auburn right then was thinking about me at that moment. And then I saw the camera pull out over the state of Washington, and I saw, you know, no one in Washington right now is thinking about me. And then the camera pulled out to, uh, you know, the United States, and no one in the United States is thinking about me right now. And then the camera pulled out, and it was the entire planet. It was the planet Earth. And there's no one in on this planet, no one here is thinking about me right now. I am alone on this planet. At this moment, I'm awake at two in the morning, and no one can contend for my well-being. And then I saw that camera just expand, just kind of go as fast as the cosmos and just go and go and go. And it expanded and expanded and expanded as much as the universe is the universe. And I realized at that moment that there was no one contending for my well-being. Now, those are kind of heavy thoughts to have. 
as a ninth grader. But I realized at that moment that I was really alone in this world, and I felt this heavy weight of being alone and sick and hopeless for my future. And I remember so clearly thinking, Lord, I know you're real, but if you're real. I know you're real, but if you're real. And I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer. I don't know if if you've ever thought that thought, but it was, God, I know you're real, but if you're real, I need you. I need you to reveal your presence to me. And as a 15-year-old boy at 2 in the morning in Auburn, Washington, alone in the universe, I prayed, Lord, I know you are real. But if you are real, please show me your presence. And in that room, the presence of God rested on me like a blanket. And I don't know how to describe it, but I knew instantly that I was not alone and that I would never be alone. I knew at that moment that even though no one on this planet could ever contend for me at all times, that my parents could not be there at all times, that my family could not be there at all times, that my friends could not be there at all times, that no person, no government, no institution, no organization, no one on this planet could ever be there for me at all times, no spouse, No one could ever be there for me at all times. No one could ever satisfy all my needs. But there was one who was with me in that room, in the midst of my despair, in the midst of my sickness, while I was in the pit. There was one who was with me and that he was more than enough. That God was with me and that he was more than enough. And I had a peace that passes understanding. I don't know how to describe it, but this, I knew that I didn't have to be afraid. I knew that my relationship with God was not dependent upon me having stuff. I knew that I didn't need to be healthy to be okay. I knew that I didn't need to be healed to be okay. I knew that I didn't need to live longer to be okay. I knew that I didn't need to have anyone understand me to be okay. And I knew this, that eventually in my life, there will come a day for each of us, right? We know this. There will come a day where no one can rescue us. There will come a day of our last breath, that no matter the relationships we've had, no no matter the people that we have around us, that no one can take us from this life to the next life that there comes a last breath reality where we leave this life for the life to come. And I knew that at that moment, I was going to be okay, that I was experiencing the reality of the last breath, that Jesus Christ is enough for me to go from this life to the next life, that he is all I need to be okay in this eternal now. And that changed everything. It changed my perspective on everything because I suddenly realized I don't need friends to affirm me or not to affirm me for me to be okay. I don't need relationships to be good for me to be okay. I don't need to get married to be okay. I don't need to have kids to be okay. I don't need to have money to be okay. I don't need to have the right job to be okay. I don't need to have the right people praise me to be okay. That I'm okay right now. For me, it was like this. I I felt like Jonah in the middle of the well, 
you know, are that big, great, big fish in the middle of the deep sea where no one on the earth even believes I exist. And here is God speaking to me in this place. And the presence of God was and is enough to sustain me. That radically changed everything in my life because I realized I don't have to be afraid. I can just live from this place of abiding that I am with God and God is with me and nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That sickness can't separate me. Nothing, including death. Some of you are in a place right now where you are alone in this world and I want to encourage you that Christ is with you. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. Make room for him. Let him reach you right now in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for listening to today's show. I want you to know that you're not alone, that God is with you. I want you to make room for his presence and for you to know that even if no one understands you, God understands you and he will never leave you or forsake you. He is your all and all. If you'd like to text the show, please do. The number is 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. Make room for the Lord. I will see you next time. God bless you. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.